0: Thanks, Don. appreciate that. Um, I hope that's your prayer. I hope that you can say that. Because the cross does make a difference. And um, it's it's a life-changing thing that changes not only our destiny, but our purpose and our focus. And it gives us what we're going to talk about this morning, hope and uh, a future. So uh, this morning, we're going to continue our series. We've been in a series dealing with about 16 different passages that... Tell the Bible story, Genesis to Revelation. We've talked about the idea that in creation, God created a, king, a kingdom, and he was king, that he created man. He put man in that kingdom and said, I want you to be in charge of the kingdom. And man decided that he wanted to follow Satan instead of God, so that changed things dramatically. But God came in and said, I'll make a difference. I'm going to change it. I will bruise the head of Satan, as he said, but he'll wound um, my heel we talked about the idea that God then establishes a covenant with Abraham. He said, don't worry, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants like the, 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 the sand of the sea, like the, the stars of the sky, um, come along with a guy by the name of Judah. That uh, God says, you know what, I'm going to bring it through you. I'm going to make a nation um, of your, the Savior, the, the Messiah is going to come through your lineage. We talked about the idea of the covenant that he made with David. The idea of king. We talked about the idea of Passover. The idea that God instituted the idea that there can be a substitute for us to take our place. Last week we talked about the idea that, was it last week? Um, Yeah, last week. Father's Day. What really messes me up is when we have a holiday. And I preach a holiday message like on Father's Day. That messes me all up. Uh, That wasn't last week. That was two weeks ago. Yeah, last week was... Uh, last week was the idea of he who knew no sin became sin for us. He was our substitute. He took our place. So in that story, what we've done is, in the Old Testament, we brought ourselves all the way up to the idea that that Jesus deals with sin, and we talked about that last week, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our place. Our sin was laid on him, and on him was laid the iniquity of us all, and we talked about that. But we still had the problem of death. Even though God has taken care of the sin problem, the issue is now going to be a death problem. And how do you deal with death? And how do you take care of what's God going to do with the whole death issue? Um, because when you're dead, you're dead. So we're going to read a unique story this morning um, from the book of Ezekiel that's going to introduce to us a very, very unusual concept. Um, it's, a, it's a. When you actually look at it, it's kind of a humorous story. Um, and it's an amazing story to really think about what it would have looked like. Um, it was a vision that was given to Ezekiel. Um, and it's the vision of the what we know as dry bones. If you ever remember the old uh, Negro spiritual, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Um, it was actually based on this story. Now, before I get to the story, let me give you some background. Okay? Uh, you have the children of Israel. You have them in Jerusalem. Um, you have... Um, Nebuchadnezzar coming along, and he's in Babylon, and the Babylonians come in and they ransack Jerusalem. Five eighty six B.C.E. before common error is the way this goes. They come in and they destroy Jerusalem. Uh, when they destroy Jerusalem, they destroy Solomon's temple. They raid it of all of its uh, gold stuff and and, and all of the, the the stuff that accompanied the temple. They take the people in captivity. They kill many of them. They take some into captivity. Um, typically, the way this worked is um, when, it, when an army came in to take over a city, what they would do is they would pull out the brightest and the youngest and the strongest. They would take them back to their city, to their nation, and they would train them in their ways. Everybody else, they usually kill. So if you were old, you were dead. If you were slow, you were dead. If you were infirmed in any way, often you were killed. Um, Because you had no value to their new society. The only people they wanted was people that could help them extend their kingdom. So they would either do one of two things. They would either kill you or they'd leave you behind. Now, again, when they left you behind, what were they leaving you with? A city that was destroyed. They had taken all of the, the cattle that were of any, any, any value. They had taken all the sheep. They had taken all the goats. Um, they were Jewish, so there weren't pigs. Um, by the way, I read the other day, did you know the ratio of pigs to humans in the state of Iowa is 7 to 1? <laughs> there are 7 pigs in this state for every one person. Is that, like, Amazing. Honestly, time had the most fascinating issue uh, a week ago. It was all the things that you don't want to know. Um, And this was in it. Um, This was in it. It was one of the things that I is known for is uh, seven, yeah, seven pigs to every one person. I'm thinking, well, we're not a Jewish state, uh, state, that's for sure. Uh, But anyway, so they would have taken everybody, everybody along that way, and then they left everybody else, and those people often then would die very, very soon. Now, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to understand that when they did that, When they would do that, all of these people in captivity now have lost everything. Their homes are in a foreign land destroyed. Any relatives that they had that were older or anybody else, they're gone. Many of them killed or about to die. And they are now in a foreign land surrounded by people who speak a different language, who have a whole different lifestyle, who have a whole different culture, and we are now telling them, enslaving them, telling them what to do. That's the story you find in Ezekiel. Because what has happened is they have gone into captivity, and Ezekiel now, you've got to understand Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a prophet. He is also of the family of a priest. So what that means is that Ezekiel would have been trained and brought up from day one to be a priest. And I want you to think about this. Every day he would have walked around Jerusalem and he would have seen, in Jerusalem, Solomon's temple. And he would have watched Daddy go to work in Solomon's temple. And he would have gone to school every day to learn how to be a priest in Solomon's temple. And his entire focus of his life would have been I'm going to be a priest at Solomon's temple. That's where that's my future. There it is, right in front of me. He sees it every single day. Priest entered the priesthood at the age of 30. So in the Jewish world, when you became you were not a priest until you were 30. You were trained all the way up until that time at the age of 30, you would become a priest. Um by the way, just Again, rabbit trails when I can go there real quick and try to get back. Um, uh, when does Jesus enter his earthly ministry? 30. 30. Traditionally, in the, Jewish ho- in the Jewish world, that's exactly what would have happened. So here is, here is Ezekiel now. He's preparing for it. He's all set. When he goes into captivity, he's 25 years old. I want you to understand that because... That, I think, plays significantly into the book of Ezekiel. Here's a guy who had spent 25 years preparing to be there, and he watches it wiped out. And he finds himself now in a foreign land. He finds himself now with no future, with no hope, even if he could leave Babylon. There's no temple there anymore. It's been decimated. There's no future there. So, in essence, his entire thing has been wiped out. Now, you're a 25-year-old person in that kind of world. What's going through your head? Because the thing about Ezekiel is Ezekiel is a prophet who comes in and represents God in a foreign country and gives people hope and talks about a future, and I love him because the book of Ezekiel, this guy is nuts. This guy will do anything to get the attention of people and keep their attention in order to hear his message. So I like the guy for that reason. He does some crazy stuff in this book um, a- as far as illustrations go. And, and he's, my, he's like my source of comfort. When I walk away from here going, you did what on the platform? Can I can't believe you did that. I'm going, oh, no, 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 Ezekiel did. You're in good company. Just hang in there, buddy. Uh, so he's my guy, all right? He's my guy. Now, with that in mind... Let's read this story in Ezekiel chapter 37, and uh, let's put it together. So here's what he says. Um, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. Now, this is a vision. The book of Ezekiel is a lot of filled with vision, so there's some debate as to whether this is like actual, or if this is like, like in his head, but it's so in his head that it's real. This is how God would often speak. Again, remember, we, we don't have to, it's not like Ezekiel could go and pick up a Bible and go, hey, what do the first five books of the Bible say, the books that Moses wrote? He didn't have that. During this time, the way God spoke was through his prophets, through the priests. He would speak through those people, and the main way that he spoke to them was through dreams and visions. And God would make something very, very clear to them, and they were to go and tell. Now, before you get too crazy going, well, you could say anything you wanted, uh, they they had a nice little caveat that kept prophets and priests from from just spouting off whatever they wanted to spout off. It went like this. If you speak it as from God, and it doesn't come true, you die. It was real simple. So if you came up and said, Thus saith the Lord, Jesus is coming back on such and such a date, and he don't come back, then the next day we kill you. In other words, the prophet, if he spoke a prophecy... He was banking his life on it. So, if Ezekiel comes to the people and goes, Let's say to the Lord, if God didn't say, then he's a dead man. So, that, you know, I, I, I'm thinking if we implemented that again, death penalty for prophets who prophesy without, without the truth, then I, I think we'd clean up a lot of stuff happening today. But anyway, here we go. <clears throat> here we go. Here's what it says um, it Was upon me. He brought me out of the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. All right, now, a couple of things. First of all, here's the story. God, God sets him out there, and so Nehemiah, or not Nehemiah, um, um, Ezekiel starts walking around, checking out all these bones. And the, the Bible's very, very clear here. It, notice that little phrase, they were very, very dry? It, it means they were like, they've been a long time. Long enough for the flesh to come off, long enough for the bones to be bleached, long enough for all of the moisture to be sucked out of them. Um, these were like these were dead, dry bones. I mean, there's no life at all in these bones. You got to understand. It. And there's a lot of them. By the way, not uncommon in the battlefields of the time, they slaughtered people by the thousands. And many times they would leave them there to rot and decay. And, and, and so it's not uncommon to see something like this. There's a lot of debate over which battlefield it was and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, he led me back and forth among them. I saw a great many bones on the, on the floor, and he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? By the way, it's, it's significant. The rabbit trail again. Um, he doesn't touch the bones. Because he is a priest. If he touched the bones, he would have been unclean. So he just walks around them and checks them out. And then it says this. And he asked me, Son of bo- man, can these bones live? This is a trick question. God says, can these bones live? Now, if you say yes, how you going to do it? If you say no, then you don't believe in God. So notice Ezekiel's brilliant. Uh, oh Lord, you know. <laughs> you know, you got it. You know, you you know whether they live or die it's it's like it, this is like the perfect. He would be a great politician at this point because um, he doesn't answer the question. Uh, he says, You know, God, you know, you know, okay? Uh, <clears throat> then he said to me, Prophesy or speak to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones I will make breath enter you, you will come to life, I will attach tendons to you, I will make flesh come upon you, cover you with skin, I'll put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So picture this now. This is the prophet guy, and his job is to preach to dead bones. Now I can make a lot of comments here <laughs> regarding how the average pastor feels sometimes on a Sunday morning, but I'm not going there, all right? We're not going there, okay? These are dead, dry bones, people that can't respond. They are dead. They are piled in the valley. There is no response. It's not like he's going, I'm going to preach to you, and we're going to have a great, a great response. I mean, God told him to do this, and he's going, okay. And he preaches. And I think this is a hoot. Standing up, preaching in a valley with a bunch of dead bones. Now, I can actually relate to this because I, in this sense, and that on a Sunday morning, I come in and I preach my message anyway to an empty church. You know, there's nobody here. So uh, I, I process stuff out, out verbally, so that, that's how I do it. So, um, so I mean, I, can, you know, I, I don't see this that far, preaching to somebody who's not there. Um, but I just think, you know, st- standing in the middle of a field full of dead bones and preaching just is kind of a little stretch even for me. Um, but he does, he does. Now notice the response, because um, this this is what freaked me out. This is where I'd be running out of the building. Um, going on, uh, next one, guys. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesied, there was a noise. Now you're preaching to dead bones, and they start moving. Okay, I don't care how crazy you are, this has got to freak you out a little bit. And then notice what happened a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. So now all of a sudden, it's like them bones and bones and dry, you know, um, the shin bone connected to the ankle bone. And so as he's preaching, he watches like an ankle and a leg bone, and they like come together, and now it's starting to stand. And I don't know what you do. At this point, I don't know if you keep preaching or if you just stand back and watch or what you do. But all of a sudden, then, then as he's preaching, sinews, muscles start coming to attach to this skeleton. And then flesh starts to cover it. And before you know it, by the way, if you want a fascinating thing, um, um, go to Google and search um, Ezekiel 37, um, dry bones, and go to images, and, and, look at the, and look at the paintings throughout history, the religious paintings of this event, it is crazy. It is crazy. There's some classic, by the way, some classic works of art um, that, that, are, that are done with this, and they are just, but to give you a little bit of a visual thing. But all of a sudden now, flesh comes upon them, And now he's got a congregation. It's awesome. Now there's a whole army there standing in front of him. And then notice what it goes on to say. Um, They appeared skin covered and there's no breath in them. Now this is really important. There's no breath in them at this point. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O oh breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as commanded, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army. Now he has living, breathing soldiers standing in front of him. I say it's fascinating because this account parallels Genesis. In Genesis, what does God do? God forms man out of the dust of the ground, and then... He breathes into him the breath of life. And here, God God brings these people, forms them from dead bones, and then comes and breathes into them life, and they become a living army. Fascinating story. Now, you say, why in the world would God do something like this? In context, this is about Israel. Because the next passage, and the rest, a lot of the rest of the book is going to talk about a future for Israel. Because you see, these people are in captivity. They think they have no future. They think it's all over. And God uses this to show Ezekiel, and Ezekiel's going to use this to show the people that look, look, we have a future. God will bring us back. And God will bring us back to life. And we will have a future back in our home country, where we are supposed to be, and all of that. And by the way, that's why you see in Ezekiel chapter 38, all these other passages following in Ezekiel, a lot of them are referenced in the book of Revelation because it talks about the ultimate future that Israel has and it's sourced back in this kind of story. So that's the, that's the, that's the context, okay? Um, that's the context in which he tells this story. Now, a couple of takeaways from us and, and some things that, that, that I think are important. Some things that I think help us. I think there's a, there, there's a deeper context. I, think there's, I don't want to say deeper. The, the original context is Israel. I think a secondary idea is the idea that it shows that there is a resurrection. There is, there is life after death. Um, and I think ultimately there's even a third layer to this in that in Christ we are new creatures. We're made new. That which is dead, we're dead in our trespasses and sin. We're brought to life in Christ. I think you have those elements as well. Let's talk about a couple of takeaways, though, for for Israel at the time. Um, You can apply this a couple of ways. You can apply this to, in context, Israel. I think you can apply it generally to our country. And I think, more specifically, you need to apply it to your own life. And so here's a couple of takeaways as we we think about this story of those bones. Um, This is a message of hope to hopeless people. These are people who had given up. These are people who felt like it's over. I can't see God in this ever, in any way, shape, or form. And God steps in to to Ezekiel, and he says, Ezekiel, there is nothing more hopeless than a bunch of dead, dried bones. That's it nothing can come of this i mean what you know the best thing we can do with these things in our culture you know what the best thing we would do with it is we grind it up for fertilizer the best thing we do with it uh it's called bone meal you can buy it in the store and it costs crazy money um for dead dried up crushed bones but that's about the only i mean you know other than i mean there's probably other uses for them but that that that's 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 the only value we would see in it in our culture And God says, no, no, you don't understand. Ezekiel, I'm the God of hope. I can take a valley full of dead, dry, bleached bones, and I can make them a living, breathing army because I'm God. And I want you to understand, Ezekiel, that there is no situation that is hopeless on this side of the grave. On this side of the grave, there is always hope. Now, if you spend your life rejecting God, rejecting Jesus Christ, you need to understand that on the other side of this life, there is hopelessness. In fact, in um, in uh, Dante's uh, deal um, on hell, one of the things that he says is, the sign over hell says, abandon all hope, you who enter here. Because... Ultimately, if you die without Christ, then you are in a hopeless situation. But on this side of the grave, there is always hope. Whatever it is you're up against, there's hope. I mean, God God can take dead bones and make a living, breathing army. So tell me why your situation is hopeless. Because this is a God who can do this kind of thing. The Bible is full of stories where God offers hope to hopeless people. The Bible is full of situations where God steps in and says, now, let me show you what I can do. This church is full of people who would tell you they were up against a wall in a hopeless situation, and God stepped in and did something incredible. Why? Because God is a God of hope. And some of you here this morning may have forgotten that. And you think the situation you're up against with whatever it is, with your health, with your kids, with your family, with, 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 with job, with uh, house, with, with, with relatives, whatever else, is hopeless. It's not hopeless. Not on this side of the grave. It's not hopeless. God offers hope. The other thing is God offers a future when you see none. I mean, can you imagine... A guy, 25 years old, who's watched his entire future obliterated in front of him, then coming to people and going, there is, there is a future. We're going to be back in the land, and we're going to reign, and we're going to rule, and, and, and it's going to be great. And people are looking at you like, you have lost your mind. Because you see, God gives a future. He brings, he brings an entire army to life here. One of the things that I think we forget is that where we are now, Shapes and develops us for where we're headed. And we talked about this this morning in Sunday school, and we're going to be going through the life of Joseph, and we we talked about this idea. So many times I see people forget that where you are now and how you respond to now impacts so much down the line. And I watch people at crucial points in their life lose hope, And not focus on the future and make dumb decisions. And that's why it's so important when you're making a life-changing decision, I hope, I hope and pray you have a group of people around you who you run that decision by. That is so valuable to you. It is so valuable that you have godly people that you can go to and say, hey, look, this is what I'm thinking about. This is going to be a major deal for me. Tell me what you think. Because it becomes so important in your circumstances. Because what do we do? often? in life we view god through our circumstances and that gets us in trouble we look at what's happening and we're going where is god i don't see god god's not in this and 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 it shapes our view of god instead of seeing our circumstances through the eyes of god that's a big difference instead of saying look god i don't like this i don't enjoy this this isn't what i wanted but for some reason, God, you are still on the throne. You have allowed this into my life. So help me, God, to see how this can be used for your honor and your glory. This is a discussion I have with my friends all the time. Don't tell you what they're going through. The whole thing is, okay, what can God do through this? How can, how can, how can we leverage your circumstance for the glory of God? How can we, we allow God to be honored and glorified through this? And, and, and that becomes a, a focus because that is so important down the line. And that, that, that some of you, you're, you, you can't see any future in what you're up against at all. You can't see any good coming out of it. You can't see anything positive coming out of it. And you're forgetting that the Bible says, all things work together for good to them that love God, who are called according to His purpose. You're forgetting the fact that God can take this situation even though it's bad, and make incredible things come from it to honor him. He can do that. He is God. And I think it's so important for us to understand that whatever we're going through right now impacts our future. And I, have so many, I see so many people that their present becomes their future. Because they handle the present wrong. In other words, I you know I I know people who who um, they, they 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 um I'm gonna, I'm not going to say this word right. Catastrophize. How does that sound? You know what I mean? It means everything is a disaster. They can't see any good in it. And you know what happens? They live miserably for the future. Why? Because everything in their life is like, oh, it's going to, you know, they're so, they're so pessimistic about everything. And they, you don't see them smile. You don't see them have any joy, you know? I mean, you know, it's like, you know, oh, you know, great, you have all your grandkids here today. Yay! And you sit in the chair and go, no, somebody's going to get hurt. <laughs> they're going to mess up the house. Somebody's going to step on that plant. You know? Look at what those kids are doing to that yard. And you've taken all the joy out of life because of your outlook on it because you can't see the idea that you're making memories with those kids today. Okay, personal story. Okay, used to drive me crazy when my kids were home because we had so many cars between the four of us, and parking, and they tore up the area from my driveway to my shed. Every time I'd cut grass, it was like cutting in a dust bowl, because I'd driven back and forth all the time and killed all of the grass. So I'd drive through it the whole time, preacher cussing, but preacher cussing <coughs> because of all the dust. Kick it up. And it's like, oh, I'll be so glad when I can get grass growing here. Guess what? Come over to my house now, i got grass. You know what I want? Dirt. I want cars driving back and forth on it. Why? Because it represents something different now. Um, and, and, and I want to challenge you, because some of you don't understand. You're missing, the, you're, you're missing that what you can do now has such a great impact on the future. And, and, and Ezekiel, God came to Ezekiel and said, Look, Ezekiel, it, what I'm doing right now is about the future. And yes, you're in captivity, and yes, it's hard, but that's not the end of the story, Ezekiel. There's a better thing coming, Ezekiel. So Ezekiel, stay focused on what I'm doing because I'm, pu- I'm going to put something together here and do- use you in a great way. And that's what I'd say. It's so easy to focus on your circumstance and what you're up against right now, but hang in there. God's got something much bigger in mind. So much bigger in mind. I think The last thing that, that you see in this idea is that, is that he brings life when things are dry and dead. Um, that's where some of you are right now. You, you remember when you got saved? You remember how you acted when you got saved? It's like you went to tell everybody about God. Like you were shoving the Bible down everybody's throat and... You were telling everybody about what they needed to do, and you were so excited about what God was doing, and and dee, 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 Remember that? Remember that? But here's what happens. It doesn't stay like that, does it? It doesn't stay like that. And you go through ups and downs, and you go through times when, you know, you're really reading your Bible, and you're really learning, and you're really growing, and then you kind of go through those dry spells when things get dry. By the way, David did this. David, the guy who wrote, you know, your words are like honey, also said your words are like dirt. They're dry. I'm not getting anything out of this. Um, it just depended on where he was in life. And you kind of go through those times. Remember, God can bring life even through times like that. Um, I, I use the analogy of marriage. You know, I love my wife. We have a great marriage. I'm not, I'm not knocking it or anything off. But I remember what it was like when we got married. Remember Remember that? Some of you are going like looses. We're going back like 63 years. They um, just celebrated 63 years this week. Um, that was amazing. But, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, to, well, I told her. I said, 63 years, my wife will have shot me by then. But, um, <clears throat> I mean, you remember how when you got married? you remember how, like, you know, you always held hands? And you're like, oh, it's so we love. And it's so wonderful. And I can't wait to come home and tell you about my day. And how was your day? And, dee, 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 dee. and then life happened. And then it was about dishes and it was about who takes out the trash and who cuts the lawn and who's supposed to pick that up and who didn't put that away. And it, and it kind of gets into that time period where it's all kind of routine, you know, and that, that euphoria of the whole married thing, you know, kind of went by the wayside a little bit. And then what happens? Something happens, or you get away, and you go on a trip, and you kind of rekindle all that, and it's like, okay, you know, yeah, you know, we, we've lost sight of stuff. And then kids come along, and that changes everything. Um, and then, you know, you go through all of that, and you go through the highs and lows of it. And, and, and you know, I, I, mean, I, I love being married. I love my wife and everything else. But, you know, if you think that I get up every day and going, ooh. Um, <laughs> really? I mean, really? You are delusional. Um... You know, you are so delusional. Uh, you know, I mean, really, you know, and there's times it's like, you know, um, you know, we love to get, you know, we love to talk and sit and, and do stuff together. And then there's other times it's like, you know what, why don't you just go to your scrapbook room and I'll go to my shed and we'll meet like next week. Um, you know, I mean, there's just those times, you know, that's normal. And it's no different in our Christian walk. We go through those times. And some of you are in that time right now where in your Christian walk, it's dry. And you're not getting anything out of it. It's a struggle to come to church and to read your Bible. Oh, no. You know, that's really a struggle. And everything's so hard and stuff like that. Keep plowing through it. Because here's what you'll see. God will still bring life to those times as well. And just like in marriage, you know, something will happen and my wife and I will be able to get away or we'll go to, a, you know, this time of year, you know, you go to a wedding and you watch a couple, and you go, oh, okay. And then, the, and, you know, you do those kinds of things and then, then it rekindles a little bit of that again and then and, and you're glad you're married or you have a friend who goes through a divorce and you watch how devastating that is to them and, and, and you go, man, I don't want that. You know, I really got to appreciate what I got. And, and you go through that. And it brings life back to that. And that's, that's what I want you to understand this morning, is that God, God can bring life to some of those situations. If you're going through some of those dry times right now, it's okay. It's okay, you'll get through it. And God wants to bring life to that. But, but just hang in there. That's why the Bible says, um, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you reap, if you don't quit. If you don't quit. And i watch so many people go through times, difficult times, and it's like they're right on the verge of that reaping part, and they quit. And they quit. And don't do that. Hang in there. And that's, that, was, that was God's message to Ezekiel. You hang in here because I've got a great future, and I'm going to bring life to you. And you know what? It's going to be okay. But you've got, you got to do what I say. And as crazy as it sounds, so Ezekiel stands in front of a valley full of dead bones and preaches, and the next thing you know, he's got a living, breathing army in front of him. And God says, now this is what I'm going to do with Israel. You, you're my guy, you go and tell those people. They've got a future. They've got life. It's not over. Hang in there. Don't quit. Stay focused on me. It will come out okay in the end. And I would say the same thing to you this morning. Don't quit. Don't, don't, don't let whatever you're up against win. Hang in there. Keep plugging away. There is life through it. There is hope. There is a future. Don't quit. Don't quit. So my prayer goes something like this. God established a principle with Israel. That he gives them hope when things seem hopeless. He gives them a future when they see despair. And he gives them life when they are lifeless. He will do the same thing for you this week as well. Just don't quit. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, it is so easy to get discouraged. It is so easy to get overwhelmed. It is so easy to focus on our circumstances and our situations that we don't see you. And God, this morning you used a guy in a very desolate time in history, and you showed him that, Lord, you give life, and you give future, and you give a hope. And, Lord, his job was to take that message to his people. And it is the same message, Lord, that you have spoken to us about today. So, Lord, for those here this morning that see no hope, would you show them that there is hope? Lord, for those who have given up and feel like there, there is no future, that you would help them to see that, Lord, you're still on the throne, you have far greater things planned for them. And, Lord, there is a future of you using them. And, Lord, for others who, or it's just kind of dry. Would you help them to see some of the life? Would you help them to see some of the workings of your spirit, your, your, your work around them, and open their eyes. To let them to see that, Lord, there is life, even in those dark, desolate times. And when it is all said and done, Lord, may we honor and glorify you. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together and um